irony. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. In the early 1830s, a Quaker abolitionist attempted to establish in the Mexican territory of Texas a most remarkable experiment, a colony for freed slaves. This week, we talk about Benjamin Lundy and his Texas Freedmen Colony. But first, what's your favorite thing to do in Austin? Well, uh, it's been a long time since I've been to Austin, mostly go through it these days. But uh, when I did go to Austin, a couple of my favorite memories were riding the train in Zilker Park and swimming at Barton Springs. Uh, One of these days, we'll have to take the kids down there and find something new and fun to do. Well, uh, my favorite thing to do actually is walk around the Capitol grounds. The Capitol building is quite lovely and the grounds are beautiful and it's very historic. So I like doing that. Well, for me, Austin is all about the lake, the lake, the lake, the lake, and the lake, because you've got a lot of lake and water-based options around there. Um, and that's pretty much the best thing to do in Austin is hang with that great lake crowd because the Ritz downtown is closed. <laughs> Was the greatest bar and pool hall in Austin on 6th Street, and now they made some kind of hipster movie theater out of it. So I hope you enjoy your Guardians of the Galaxies and your Thor Ragnaroks. Because I can't go there and listen to the jukebox no more. In the mid-1820s, Texas, long a Spanish colonial backwater, began rapidly developing thanks to the liberal colonization laws of the New Mexican Republic. Led first by Stephen F. Austin, in the course of just a half a decade, nearly a dozen land grants were approved by the Mexican government to Americans, Mexicans, and European individuals or corporations. And Texas' Anglo population rapidly expanded from just a few squatters to nearly 5,000 settlers. The state of Coyoteas had special privileges and protections that weren't permitted elsewhere in Mexico, specifically its permission of the slaves that many Anglo settlers from the United States brought with them to the new homes. The new settlers were expected to be Catholics of good character and standing and to swear allegiance to the Mexican Republic. For a few years, things went well, but the rambunctious nature of the rising tide of American settlers and their rather peculiar perspectives on liberty and freedoms that they expected caused an increasing amount of friction between Texans and the various governments, and there were several of them, back in Mexico City. Uh, In the aftermath of the failed Fredonia Rebellion, which we talked about way back, and this was the Edwards Colony around Nacogdoches, the government of Anastasio Bustamante in Mexico passed the law of April 6, 1830, which was called La Ley, that effectively banned further immigration from the United States, not already contracted with the larger established colonies. So if you had a contract already with the Austin colony or the DeWitt colony, then you could still come, but anybody new was not allowed in. The era of American colonization of Mexican Texas was, at least officially, legally over. Now this action, of course, as we've seen, drove thousands of Americans to illegally immigrate to Texas. They swelled the population in even greater numbers over the succeeding half decade that the law was in effect than had actually legally immigrated in the five years before, to the tune of about 10 to 1. Hmm. Irony. 
Irony, lots of illegal immigrants in Mexican Texas came from America. However, despite the law, there were still attempts to establish new colonies in Texas. Perhaps the most remarkable one. Okay, let me rephrase that. However, despite the law, there were still attempts to establish new legal colonies in Texas. Perhaps the most remarkable one was the brainchild of a man named Benjamin Lundy, one of the great abolitionists in American history. Lundy was born in New Jersey in 1789, the son of a Quaker farmer. As a teenager, he was an apprentice saddler in what is now West Virginia, and his experiences on the Ohio River, where he observed slaves being shipped to Kentucky and other slave states in the South, combined with his Quaker upbringing, which encouraged equality among all people, gave him a powerful loathing for slavery. In 1815, Lundy parlayed a successful saddlery business into support for various anti-slavery efforts, and through these groups he found himself drawn to the journalism and printing industry. Beginning in 1816, he published various newspapers, periodicals, circulars, and broadsides, and established a national network of publications throughout the northern states. He also lectured and traveled extensively, both within slave states, as well as to colonies of freed slaves, including in Canada and Haiti. He also recruited many like-minded individuals to his cause, most importantly, William Lloyd Garrison. Lundy stated that between 1820 and 1830, he'd traveled more than 5,000 miles on foot and 20,000 in other ways, visited 19 states of the Union, and held more than 200 public meetings. He faced hostility nearly everywhere he went, facing assault and legal challenges on a constant basis, and lived in grinding poverty, his salary business long having since been liquidated. Lundy's travels led him to believe that it was essential to settle freed American slaves in areas where they could experience freedom. This wasn't a new idea, as the American Colonization Society had been sponsoring the transportation of freedmen to a colony in West Africa, which would eventually become the nation of Liberia. They'd been doing this since the early 1820s. His visits to Canada and Haiti led him to believe that the idea could work, but he wanted to find a place with a similar climate to the rest of the South, in a land suited to agricultural endeavors, and most importantly, that wouldn't be across the ocean from where they'd been born and where their family was. Lundy thought that Texas could fill all those criteria. Lundy traveled to Texas in late 1832 in order to start the process of petitioning the Mexican government for permission to establish his colony. He had to travel incognito, however, because he was so recognizable a figure that he faced attack and possible death from the American settlements populated with mostly southern transplants. As he traveled to the Coahuila capital of Monclova, he often had to pay his way in trade using his skills as a leather worker. When he arrived, Lundy found many of the same hurdles that Moses and Stephen Austin had experienced a decade before. The wheels of Mexican government ran slowly and often were gummed up by contradiction. From one official, it would be that La Ley was still in effect and there would be no further colonization from the United States. From another, it would be that the law would soon be struck down. From yet another, in this case the Secretary of State of Cohia, the law was of little import in this matter. Slavery was illegal in Mexico, but the, quote, degraded condition of the American Negro was such that they would make poor citizens. Very uh, enlightened view, even in Mexico. Yeah. Lundy should have been discouraged, but he persisted, looking for someone who would listen to him. He left his application with the governor and returned home to the United States. 
1834, Lundy returned to Texas and met a well-connected young officer, Colonel Juan Alamante, who had managed to survive Mexico's turbulent political landscape while still keeping incredibly high ideals. Alamante escorted Lundy back to Monclova, where they discovered that Lundy's application had never even been looked at. Alamante, however, had a new idea. He knew that the Mexican Congress was going to enact new sanctions that specifically targeted the Americans in Texas. He argued that settling a colony of freed slaves in Texas would be counterproductive because of these laws, and because such a colony would only attract hostility from antagonistic Anglo-Texans. He suggested that Lundy seek another opportunity in another Mexican state where the sanctions and la ley didn't apply. He advised Lundy to seek land in the state of Tamaulipas, just south of Cohia y Tejas. Lundy took Almonte's advice and he traveled to Matamoros, which is just south of the Rio Grande River, where there was already a community of freed and escaped American Negroes. This community strongly supported Lundy's plan and promised to support the new colony if it were established. Almonte assisted Lundy in finally getting his grant for 250 families and 138,000 acres in the land between the Nueces River and the Rio Grande. This is the extreme southern part of Texas. At the time, Texas actually only extended to the Nueces River. And so this land, which today consists mostly of the King Ranch between Corpus Christi and Brownsville, was then part of Tamaulipas. Lundy was given two years to make the colony work, and he returned home, broke and exhausted, but excited about the possibilities of his vision. He intended to raise money and recruit the families that would settle in this new land. Sadly, Lundy's reach failed to exceed his grasp. He ran into a couple of key problems that prevented the colony from ever getting off the ground. The first was within the American abolitionist movement itself. His former protege, Garrison, had always opposed the notion of colonization of freed slaves and had always agitated for immediate abolition of all slaves. The argument was that moving freed slaves out of the South undercut the drive to total abolition. If some of them were gone, then there wouldn't be as much need to free all of them. Others said that slave owners supported the colonization movement in order to remove divisive and agitating freedmen from their midst, reducing the chance of slave rebellion. There was some validity to this argument since several of the founders of the American Colonization Society were slaveholders themselves. Whatever the case, while Lundy had been traveling, Garrison had gained preeminence in the movement and moved to cut off Lundy's support from the abolitionist movement he'd helped establish. Garrison was so successful in doing so that Lundy actually served time in debtor's prison. The other problem was, as he was returning home to the United States, Anglo-Texans began the revolution against Mexico. Oops. By the end of his deadline to establish his colony, Texas had won his independence, declaring themselves a republic, where slavery was fully legalized, and claiming the land south of the Nueces granted to Lundy's freed slave colony. This paradigm shift rendered all of Lundy's efforts completely moot, no matter that he had the support of both the garrison and the abolitionist movement. But Lundy would have a measure of payback, though. In the aftermath of Texas's independence, there was a strong movement to immediately annex Texas into the United States. Lundy, now out of debtor's prison and editing the Philadelphia Anti-Slavery Weekly, the National Enquirer and Constitutional Advocate of Universal Liberty, say that three times, imagine being a newsboy for that magazine, or for that newspaper, he wrote extensively about the Texas Revolution and its causes. 
He had been to Texas, had been among its people, and would be considered something of an expert on the subject. His attack on Texas, though, was clear and to the point. Lundy charged that the revolution was a slaveholder's plot to take Texas from Mexico and to add slave territory to the United States. He expanded on his thesis later that year when he published The War in Texas, which became hugely popular and influential among northern, i.e. free states. Thanks to his friend, former president and current Massachusetts congressman John Quincy Adams, who was an abolitionist, who was an abolitionist himself, copies of the tract were given to every single U.S. congressman. Now, this theory, whether it was true or not, drove Adams and every northern congressman to block every effort to bring Texas to the United States for nearly a decade. Lundy did not live to see either Texas join the Union or the abolition of slavery. He died at the age of 50 in 1839. His journals were published shortly after his death, but in the years since, he was largely forgotten for his role in the early abolition movement. Of his colony of freed African Americans in South Texas, almost nothing is remembered, but it remains one of the more fascinating almost-were ideas in Texas. So it's a very interesting story. I stumbled across this when I was reading about some things, and uh, uh, I thought it was fascinating at the idea of a freed freed slave colony in Texas. And the irony is it wouldn't have actually been in Texas if Texas was still part of Mexico. It would have been Tamaulipas. But in the yeah. in what is today Texas, it, it definitely would have been there. It's yeah. fascinating. I had never heard this story before. Mm-hmm. So yeah. really cool. Pretty, pretty amazing story. Uh, you know, and when you, it, it does definitely fall into line of when we talk about, we've talked extensively in the past about Mexico's political situation, about the tensions between Mexico and the, Amer- the Anglo settlers in Texas um, and their ideas of freedom and <laughs> their ideas of liberty. Um, you know, so I think you know, the idea that, that even for um, an abolitionist, Texas was Texas represented something uh, that was this this place of freedom for people, even if <laughs> the reality wasn't going to be the case. You know, you, you think about the what if on this. What if that? What if he had gotten the land and gotten people there right away? Right? Um, you yeah. know, as early as 1834. Well, that'd be 250 African American families, black families living in the desert between <laughs> Corpus Christi and Brownsville. Um, but, you know, when Texas did finally, you know, get its independence, what would what would happen to that that grant, that, that colony? Um, yeah. What would happen to them? So th- that's a very interesting thought progression. Would, would they have been welcome as part of Texas? You know, what does that happen? What happens to the King Ranch, right? Because that's the land right where the King Ranch was interested eventually became so very interesting thoughts well you know you think about this too that it's like okay so let's say that there's like new liberia deep in south texas and that would have um it certainly would have been a a huge point of contention had Mm. he achieved his goals i mean it would have been in in like to um to alamante's point like you're just kind of painting a big target on yourself if you're going to do this right in the middle of of Anglo country, mm-hmm. but oh, yeah. uh, 
but even still, I just I it's interesting that there were these um, colonies that existed just south of the Rio Grande, though, in Matamoras. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never knew about that either. So, but I think it's interesting. Yeah, you know, as much as we want to lionize our heroes of the Texas Revolution and the, the early Republic of Texas, you know, the, their attitudes towards uh, slavery and towards race equality were. Well, race equality was non-existent. I mean, for the most part, almost everybody, uh, at least from the American South uh, or from America, really didn't didn't believe in any type of race equality. Now we may have a different discussion about the Germans who would start to come in uh, in the next few years, and the Poles uh, and the Czechs. But if they were from you know Tennessee, they were not going to really be take kindly to a freed slave colony, you know, just over the Noesis River from them. So um, the other thing I think was interesting is the the impact that Lundy had on uh, Texas coming into the Union. Um, you know, as we know, you know, it was Andrew Jackson immediately tried to get Texas into the United States uh, right after uh, the revolution and Sam Houston was a big supporter of that. Now there were those in the Texas government uh, and in the Republic that like, such as, uh, um, um, who's our, such as Mirabeau B. Lamar who opposed it. They wanted to stay independent, uh, but for obviously different reasons. But I, it's interesting that Lundy's tracks and his newspaper and his books had such a big profound effect on, policy basically of the united mm. states for a decade i mean it, it's interesting in the in the the fact that it was uh, not only a, a what if it was kind of a never was um there, there's not a whole lot i mean all we can do is conjecture on what could have happened or what might have happened because ultimately it didn't go anywhere so i i, I don't know if there's anything else we've talked about that's that's the same you know in, in the history of texas you know perhaps yeah i compare it to some of the uh the attempts at independence that really didn't go anywhere you know yeah. it's just kind of a huh that would have been interesting but um ultimately yeah because it didn't really even make it into it didn't even really make it to any type of execution phase so like the 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 french colony the you know the french officers after the napoleonic wars that settled right around houston for about a year or the, the reunion colony which became part of Dallas lasted for a couple of, you know, several years. Like those at least kind of, kind of happen. Uh, actually most of the French efforts in Texas kind of happened briefly, but they didn't really go very far. Whereas this was, this was more of an idea or a concept that, that really didn't uh, succeed. I think the closest thing maybe I could come to it for different reasons would be possibly, um, you know, Alex, uh, Aaron Burr's plans to set up a, a, uh, a country, an independent country west of the Mississippi, and many people think he was kind of eyeing Texas as a as a perfect area for that. You know that that might be a another similar situation. But I think it's more interesting the character of Lundy and just his persistence of you know he was going to do this, he wanted to do this, and he he had a force of will. He just didn't have the means to do so. And he got so close, yeah. but just just couldn't well, quite finish the deal. Yeah, and I guess this is along the lines of what was originally intended by, uh, you know, the the Austins, um, 
which was we want to establish a colony within the existing country of Mexico. We don't want to separate ourselves from that. We're just looking for new opportunities in a different land. And again, that ultimately uh, did not quite work out as planned. A forgotten story of Texas. Yeah, forgotten or not a little known story of Texas. I think that's really the... It's one of those one one more of those little known stories of Texas. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast. Or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Mac Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, just tell your friends and have them leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support our show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come and take a Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.